Two weeks ago, uh, we read through the entire book of Ephesians in our time together. I mentioned uh, to several people and mentioned to you that is the best sermon I never preached. And uh, a lot of truth to that. You know, a lot of truth. That's the first time in, the, in my 36 years of ministry that, um, that that's all we did during the service was just read one of the books of, of the Bible. I think it was, uh, it's always beneficial. Because the Word of God is what we need to focus on. It's not simply talking about it. You know, it's not simply talking about the Word of God. That's not what we're talking about. We needed to get it into our living. We need to live directed by God's Word. We need to live directed, uh, directed by Him. And uh, I wasn't sure if you were seeing the same thing. I was. And we need to get that as as our direction. Now, with that in mind, I was thinking through what Paul wrote to the Ephesians there. And uh, there were a couple of times, two times in the book of Ephesians, where Paul uh, just kind of seems to break out into prayer. And I was, I was wondering what prompted him to break out that way uh, into prayer as, he, as he's writing. It's kind of nice to know that I'm not the only one that gets distracted in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a thought and goes off into some other, you know, down some other road. Um, Paul did that as he's writing to the Ephesians there. Two, the two places where he's moved to prayer, one comes at the end of chapter 1 and the other at the end of chapter 3. Uh, the end of chapter 1 really seems to be more of an explanation uh, you know, of what he prayed for those who he was writing to. Now, it's still an effective prayer, and it's an effective way for us to pray. If you ever, want, if you ever wonder what to pray for someone, these two passages in Ephesians are great things to pray for someone. They are great things uh, for you to to just insert somebody's name and lift them up before God in regards to those. Now, this one um, in chapter 1 is, like I said, seems to be more explaining to them how he, what he prayed for them. Chapter 3, he really kind of gets into prayer, a prayer. Um, but there's the kid. See, now you try and guess whose kid that is. I'm pressing a button and nothing's happening. It's still, oh, it's still booting up. You'll move it? Okay, go to the title. There we go. Remember those old things? And well, you probably was, you know, you have to be my age. Or not. In school, you had those, those uh, uh, little projectors with the film in there and go beep, and then you had to go on and. That was a hint. Um, so anyway, when I was looking at this, I noticed that we have two weeks between uh, from now until we start the Advent series. And uh, the Advent series, those of you who have been around a while know I try to do this every year. Every year we focus on Advent, Advent that time leading up to the birth of Christ. And we start that the week after, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And so we have two weeks until, well, that means two weeks until Thanksgiving, you guys. So I don't know if that excites you, frustrates you or what. But at any rate, we had two weeks. So I thought I would take time this two weeks to look at these two prayers in Ephesians. You know, as we read through that book, these, those two prayers uh, and, and take some time to look at that. So this week we're going to be at the end of chapter one. Next week we're going to look at the end of chapter three. Let's pray and then we're going to get into into this prayer. 
Father, you are a gracious God who has given us your word, and it's there to guide us, direct us, encourage us, uplift us. Oh, so many things. It works out in so many different ways, but it's there for us, and we're grateful for that. The way in which you worked to, to give us guidance and direction, insight into your being. All of this comes from your word. We know you because the word is there to direct us to you. We know who Jesus is because we can look and we can read and we can see what he's done. And Father, for that we are grateful. We pray now that you would guide us as we look into your word, that you would help us to see uh, more of, of you, the reality of you, and our life in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. What it would say on the screen if I was able to do it would say page 1076. Is that slide working or not? No, we're not getting anywhere. Well, turn the projector off and then, or, you know, shut the shutter there, or will it not do that? Oh. Look at this little girl while we look at Ephesians chapter 1, page 1076. We are going to focus, our, the focus for us is going to start on verse 15. So in verse 15 is where we're going to start. Now, if you are there, you will look and you notice it starts with these words. It says, this is why. Some of the translations say, for this reason. Well, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find out why. What was the reason Paul was moved to prayer? You know, or, or at least... Um, you know, to recount his prayer, as we see here in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, we're going to start, to, so we get the reason for this is why. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. It's going to help us to, to grasp a little bit more uh, the reason behind the prayer. So it says, Paul, an apostle of, uh, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored on us with in the let's do that again to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved verse 7 we have redemption in him through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he planned in him before the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the messiah both things in heaven and things on earth. We have also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we, who had already put our hope in the Messiah, might bring praise to his glory. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession uh, to the praise 
of his glory. Now we're going to pause there before we get into the prayer part, which starts in verse 15. Uh, what, what he says here prompts what we see in verses 15, 16, you know, what he goes on. He says, this is why, since I heard about it, I've not stopped giving praise for you. This is why. So here's the this is why part. And that reason begins to unfold in verse 3. What you have really in verse 1 is a little backwards for us in our thinking. We sign a letter at the end. They put the name of the author at the beginning of the letter so it seems a little awkward to us when they wrote the letter they would you know they would say you know this is this is pat writing to you and so that's what he says here paul an apostle he's he has his signature at the beginning and then he tells you who it's to you know the the faithful and that greeting which comes in in verse two uh you know grace and peace to you then he gets into in verse three he begins to unfold this reason here and he says praise the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens and he expands on that thought all the way through to verse 14 now the reason for the prayer there really is the sovereign grace of god now what i mean by that um, you know, is, is that God is acting in lives simply because he is God and we are not. It's because he is God and we're not. And so he has to move. And he has, now look at the verses. Verse 3, he, he says there, God blessed us with every spiritual blessing. There you go. God blessed us. Did you do that or me? Oh, man, we're in business now. God blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he says, God chose us. The holiness, he says he chose us, you know, holiness, holiness is the result. It's not the basis of God's choosing. God didn't choose us because we're holy. We're holy because God chose us. Don't get those, don't get those out of order. You know, some people think they have to be good enough before, before they can come to God. You know, you're never going to be good enough. I don't want to break your heart, but you're never going to be good enough. Neither is grandma. You know, I mean, most people love their grandma. Maybe you don't if you don't. But anyway, um, the, you know, the, 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 whole, the, the whole thing, the whole picture. Nobody's good enough. Nobody's good. Enough. But he chose us. And we are holy because he chose us. Uh, uh, in verse 4, verse 5, it says that he predestined us. Now, some don't like that word. Some don't like the word predestined. Um, it's, in all the translations, it's the same, the same word except the New Living Translation. In the New Living Translation, uh, it says, you know, his unchanging plan has always been. Uh, that word that, that's, that's uh, translated predestined, it, it literally means to predetermine. To decide beforehand, to foreordain, to appoint beforehand. Now, we have problems with that word sometimes because we read a lot of theological stuff into this word and then it begins to bother us. Don't let it bother you. Don't let it bother you. What the word, I mean, really think of it this way. This is what it means. It's, 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 it means a divine action that determines future realities. Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you know, it was predetermined by God. He was predestined to die on that cross. It was a divine action that determined that future reality. Before the foundation of the world, it said, Christ was slain. And we get upset sometimes with this word because we focus on people. The word focuses on God, not on people. It focuses on God and his actions. So you have God, verse 3, God blessed. Verse 4, you know, God chose us. 
<coughs> verse 5, God predestined us. And in verse 6, God favored us, it says. Verse 8, it says, God lavished his grace upon us. Lavished. Man, what a descriptive word that is. Lavished. Now, we don't use that word very often in our, in our discussion, particularly men. You know, um, but you know the, the good—it's a good picture word. Live, uh, that abundant, that just pouring out. You know, pouring out. When when Jenny gets me ice cream, I want her to lavish the chocolate syrup on there. Uh, you know, it's just abundant. It's there. It's noticeable. It's it's it's, it's free flowing. Lavished His grace. Verse nine. It says that God made known. And he also says in verse 9 that God planned what he planned for us. Uh, verse 11 says that he predestined. Again, you know, the same as in verse 5, predestined. Again, in, in verse 11, it says that, you know, God works out everything. And in verse 13, it says that God sealed us. Look at those. All of those are actions by God. You know, blessed, chose, predestined, favored, made known, planned, you know, works out of it. See, they're all, they're all actions. They're actions on God's part. But do you notice the common denominator in all of these? It's God. It's God. It's from Him. It's by Him. And as Paul was looking at the lives of the Ephesian Christians, as he was looking at them, he was moved by all the evidences of God's sovereign grace here. And then he prayed. You know, how often, how often you know, do we thank God not only for our salvation, but also the salvation of others? You know, how do we respond when we hear about God moving in the people of Thailand? You know, Sean Futch, Sean and Angie Futch were with us earlier this year, and he's telling us about what God is doing there in Thailand. How, you know, how, how do we respond? What do, what do we do when we hear about the gospel making headway in China? You know, often our world becomes very small, and becomes very small, and we begin to think about us, and, you know, and then we're grateful you know, for our salvation, and we're grateful for our, our kids' salvation, our grandkids' salvation, all of those things. But Paul was moved here. Now notice, he was moved not just to say, praise God. Now, that's a good thing, and it's a good response. But he was moved not just to say, praise God, but to actually spend time praying, actually spend time in prayer because he heard about the sovereign grace of God at work in the hearts of other people. And he knew that they were going to need that grace to continue. He knew that they were going to face challenges. He knew when you hear about the, when you hear about the, about the, the, the church making headway in China, do you realize what they are going to face and that they're going to need people to lift them up in prayer? That when you hear about when you hear about about the people coming to Christ, you know whether it's, it's we just had the Will Graham Crusade, and you hear about you know that I forget what it was four hundred and some people responded. You know, do we pray for them or do we just say praise God? And again, you know, saying praise God is good, but don't stop there. My goodness, you know here it is, and it's unfolding before them. You know, and it's the grace of God at work with other people. The first thing we need to do, you know, to be praying under the sovereignty of God is to recognize the sovereign grace of God at work. He is the one who calls the shots. He is the one who works in lives. And he is the one who gets the praise. This is what moved Paul to prayer. 
He recognized the sovereign grace of God at work in the lives of the Ephesians. And when he heard about the, God, about the grace of God at work in the Ephesians and, and how God sovereignly was moving, Paul wasn't there. He, wasn't, he, he had spent two years in, in Ephesians, but what did he say here? I heard, this is what I heard about. I heard about what God's doing. And he was moved to prayer. Verse 15, let's look at, what he, at what he, how he prayed, what he prayed for him. Verse 15, he begins to unfold that. This is why, he says, because, because, I saw, because I saw this sovereign grace, I heard about the sovereign grace of God at work in your lives. He says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remembered you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the glorious riches of His inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His vast strength. Verse 20, he demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So when we recognize the sovereign grace of God, how do we let that guide our praying? Well, let's look back here a little bit at how it guided Paul's praying. First, would I, well, first of all, when we recognize the sovereign grace of God, we should pray for a spirit of wisdom. For a spirit of wisdom. That's what he says there. You know, when I stop hurting about, and I, I never stop giving thanks to you. I pray that the Lord of our Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ, God, Lord of our Jesus, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom. He says, not the compiling of more knowledge. Not just piling more stuff in our head, but to know how and when God wants us to use that knowledge. How does he want that to work out in our living? Before Jesus left this earth, he spent time with his disciples, not just walking on the earth, not just pouring into them there, but then he took them aside a little bit just before the crucifixion, just before his arrest, literally just before, hours before, from, that, from what we look at as the Last Supper, and on through there, and he spent some time with them, and he spent time with them at that meal. You have that in John chapter 13, then you have in John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. Chapter 17 is a prayer by Jesus, but in those other chapters, you have the picture there uh, how, of how Jesus was, was pouring into the lives of those guys and things that he wanted them to know and wanted them to grasp because they were going to be on their own, on their own in the sense that he was going to be crucified. They're going to watch him be crucified. They were going to need some strength. They were going to need some direction. They were going to need help. And this is part of what he tells them in, in, the, in the 16th chapter. He says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me 
that he will receive what he will make known to you. Did you catch that? He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. You pray for this spirit of wisdom. We need to be a thinking people, but we need to be a thinking people that are led by and yielded to the Spirit of God. That he will guide us and he will give us that direction. When when we recognize the sovereign grace of God, we would be foolish to depend upon our own wisdom. We would be foolish to put our own wisdom ahead of God's wisdom. And he says to pray for it. You know, now we can struggle with this. We struggle with this when when we think, you know, that, that we understand or have the knowledge that we need without praying. We we think we have it all together, and we think we have, you know, we think we have. It just doesn't have to be a big challenge. It can be a big challenge. I mean, we do it in both small things, and 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 we do it most often in our in our just our regular stuff. We fall into these routines. We fall into these traps. We fall into the into the the, the, the way we respond to stuff, the way we respond to our kids, the way we talk to our kids, the way we talk to our spouse, the way we talk to our neighbor, the way we interact with, them. and all of those. You see, we get into these habits, we get into these routines, and and we begin to depend upon our past experience with them instead of looking at uh, of having God direct us and guide us. And we also struggle with this when we get in a hurry, because what we do when we get in a hurry. We get our eyes on our schedule and not on God. I noticed that this week when I was working on this sermon, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, yeah, I, and, and I, I get my eyes on my schedule. And I got this little, every week I got this, this little uneasiness in me until I get the first draft of the sermon done. Because I know it's coming. And I just have this little uneasiness about me you know and some weeks it comes better than others this, you know the, the sermon uh, and, and there's just this little uneasiness about me why because in the back of my mind it's focused on my schedule i got to get this done i got to get this done this isn't done yet i got to get this done it's not done yet you know it, it, it's thursday it's not done yet you know, it, it's it, it's it's not done, yet. and and I, we get it on our schedule. Now, if I think I'm making good progress, you see that settles down a little bit. If I'm struggling with it a little bit, then that 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 feeling begins to get up a little bit more, you know. And I know when it's getting bad every once in a while, you know, when it's when when I'm focusing on it a little more than I should, because Jenny will say, "What's wrong? Nothing. Nothing's wrong." Well, what's wrong is this is you know this is a lot of times the schedule is 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 weighing on me and rolling on me. Well, it's not only getting a sermon done, you see, but I know I'm getting a sermon done, but I know I have, you know, that I have a, a, a meeting over, I have a Bible study I'm leading at St. Anne, so I won't have that time to work on it. Well, but then then Wednesday I have, you know, I have the, the flu shots, and I'll be having that time there, and i got to get ready for that, so those, I won't have that time to work on it. So, so but you, what, it's my schedule, you see, and we get distracted. And, and so wisdom kind of goes, go, we, we need to pray, we need to look to God's wisdom and direction, you know, not, get sidetracked and, and jumbled by our own schedule. Submit yourself to that sovereign grace of God and pray for a spirit of wisdom. 
Now, Paul goes on with his prayer, and we need to really get going here. And by that, you know, we learn that we should also pray for a fuller revelation and knowledge of God. A fuller revelation and knowledge. He says, pray for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. That's where I got it from, verse 17. Pray for revelation in the knowledge of God. That fuller, So you pray for this fuller revelation and knowledge of God. You know, as we pray, we need to put an effort into knowing God better. It's, it's, not, it's not just dumped on you. You know, it's not just this knowledge of God is not just dumped on you. You put some effort into it. You know, it's revealed through your life together. This coming St. Patrick's Day will mark uh, 45 years since my first date with Ginny. And I'm sure all of you men remember the date of your first, of your, the, the date of your first uh, date with your wife. And if you don't, shame on you. I only do because it's St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, I mean, that was a great help for me. Um, I could have told you all about the date and the time and stuff, but I couldn't have put the date to it except for the fact that it happened on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't know at that time on, on that date 45 years ago, St. Patrick's Day 45 years ago, I had no idea that this cute little thing sitting at the end of the table, you know, where we just jumbled date, and, and that's what it really was. It was just a jumbled date that came together. Um, I, I, would, I was... I was at my friend's house, and his sister uh, was grounded, but knew her, their mom would let her go somewhere with me, even though she was grounded, because for some uncanny reason, his mother trusted me. Uh, and um, so that was their plan, that they were going to go. You know, I was going to uh, take them out, and then her boyfriend was going to meet us somewhere. And we were gonna, So anyway, uh, how it all turned out, we didn't have to do anything underhanded, as it turned out, um, because when she said, hey, you know, mom can... And, you know, Jenny and I go somewhere, you know, with Pat tonight. She said, sure. And she yells back, why don't you call Jim? That was her boyfriend. Oh, well, okay. Well, and my buddy came home and, and uh, his, his, uh, he called his girlfriend and the two of them were going. And then they called these other friends. I love it. I told you about these, this couple one other time, Killer and Claudia. <laughs> Killer. This was, I don't even know what his real name was. That's what we called him, Killer. And his girlfriend was Claudia. So, you know, there was Amy and Jim, Clayton and whatever her name was, I don't remember, um, and uh, Killer and Claudia. And then there was Ginny and I, we're the only two who weren't a couple. Well, then, so that, that night as we went out, then, you know, that's, that's, that was our first date. Pretty, pretty well planned, wasn't it? Uh, but, but, you see, now I have a fuller knowledge of her now than I did 45 years ago. I know more about her likes and dislikes. I know more about her her personality. I know more about her talents. I know more about her gifts. And I have all of that knowledge because we've done life together for 45 years. And I want to keep doing life with her. Not just putting in time, but actually paying attention. You don't grow as a Christian simply because you've been a Christian for 10 years. You put in that time, you put in that effort of doing life together. And when you come into a relationship with Jesus, when you become a Christian, what you're saying is, I want to do life with you, Jesus. And I want to keep doing life with you, Jesus. If what you've said is, I don't want to go to hell, please save me, and then you go on and do your own thing, I don't want to break your heart, but I don't think you're, I don't think you're a Christian. I don't think you're saved if all you do is say, you know, Jesus saved me because I don't want to go to hell. And then you ignore him and live your own life. You haven't come into a relationship with Jesus. You said some words that you think were magic words. 
And they're not. It's a relationship with him that makes a difference. It's a life. It's not a religion. It's a relationship with him. This is what he's talking about. And when you realize the sovereign grace of God, you'll pray for a fuller revelation, a fuller knowledge of God. Pray to get to know him better every day. Now, Paul continues on, and and we learn there that one of the things we need to pray for is a new realization of Christian hope. In verse 18, he says, I pray the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And what are the glorious riches in his inheritance among the saints? We live in a world, we live in a society that's a mixed bag right now. Certainly there are good things going on in the world. And if you think this world is just full of bad stuff, wake up because it's not. There is a lot of good stuff going on in the world. We are blessed to live in a tremendous, in a, in a tremendous country with tremendous freedoms. We celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. Veterans Day reminds us that some people, that some people you know, went and fought so that we can, we can enjoy the freedoms we have now. And, 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 and you know, what a blessing that is. And we thank them. But, you know, and here it is. You know, we live in this country with tremendous freedoms i saw a report on the news this week about this family that took in this 69 year old mentally disabled man i didn't know how to word that so that's how i worded it they took in this guy who you know cognitively just wasn't functioning and the guy had been institutionalized and they they they, i don't know how they hooked up with him i don't remember that part of the story because what got my attention with this whole story is they took him from this nursing facility to live with them they adopted if you will this 69 year old man and brought him to live with them on this farm they had dozens of pictures in this story uh, about uh, about what he's doing there and you see a picture of him with you know with the goats and a picture of him with the cows and a picture of him with the family and a picture of him on the swings and a picture of him by the tractor and all this stuff and one of the things i remember in all of these pictures this guy had this grin on his face that looked like it was going to split his face he just, it's like he couldn't have been happier i thought how how cool is this? They interviewed that husband and wife, and the husband and wife said, however many years this man has left, they said, we're going to do all that we can to make sure they're happy years. How cool is that? You see, there are good things going on in this world. We have reports of the gospel having tremendous effects across the continent of Africa of making inroads into Muslim countries, continuing to grow in China, even though we have all of these things. There are good things that go on. But then also we heard on the news this week of three ladies being shot in Fort Wayne on Wednesday night. A man died of a heroin overdose in the Kroger parking lot on North Clinton this week. On Tuesday, a man was shot and killed outside his home in Fort Wayne. I've lost track of how many sex abuse scandals are going on now. There was a shooting in Texas last weekend, one month after another mass shooting in Las Vegas. We saw in the video last week when Pastor Kent was telling us about the persecuted church, we saw about the Christians in Syria being abused, abducted, imprisoned, and murdered. There's a lot that can make us lose hope. 
There's a lot that can drag us down. That we need to pray for a new realization of Christian hope. To know that hope. To live in that hope. Not, not one that's based on the things of this world. Because this world is not our home. This world is not, we are only passing through. Our hope is based on the sovereign grace of God, which is not thwarted by the evils of this world. <coughs> One of the headlines that would have been, it would have been in, in, the, in the paper and on the news had they had all those things back when Jesus was crucified. One of the things that would have been on that paper that Saturday morning was that Jesus was crucified. And we all would have thought, how horrible that is. Because it was an evil act, an innocent man being killed on the cross. Not because of anything he did. Not because of anything he did. From a worldly perspective, it was because of the, because of the, 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 um, the Jewish leaders felt that, they, that their power was threatened. From a worldly perspective, that's what it was. But we all know as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, don't we? We all know that the reality was that God was not thwarted by the evils of man. In fact, he was using those evils of man to save the world. And what we need to pray for is that new realization of Christian hope. Along that, when we realize the sovereign grace of God, we need to pray for a new realization of the power of God. That's what he talks about in verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of his power, he says, to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength. And he goes on, he says, he he demonstrated that power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead. For Paul, the ultimate demonstration of God's sovereign power was the resurrection of Jesus. Death could not hold them. The enemy was defeated. Our sins were paid for. Heaven was open to us. The life of all those who come to a relationship in Jesus is secure because it's what God did. The resurrection proved God's sovereign purpose cannot be stopped by the actions of man. God is still in control. And all of this... It's because all of this power is displayed, the sovereign grace of God. Pray for a better realization of that power in your life and in your thinking. Now along the same lines, when you recognize the sovereign grace of God, pray to realize the greatness of Jesus. The greatness of Jesus, our Savior. The greatness of our Savior over all powers. This is what he says in verse 20. He demonstrated this power in the Messiah, raising him from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet. Everything under his feet. No matter how... No matter how high your view of Jesus is, no matter how great your view of Jesus is, no matter how highly you think of Jesus, it's not high enough. It's not high enough. He is beyond those thoughts that you have. He is above all of those things you see. We need, we need to pray to realize even more of what it, what it means that Jesus is far above, far above every 
ruler and authority, every power and, and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, he says, but in the age to come. He is saying here that there is not a being in heaven or on earth, not in the spirit world, with none of those things which are greater than Jesus. None. Not a single one. You're right. Not a single one. Our prayer should be that we realize the greatness of the Savior that our God has given us. None exceeds Him and none, never, and none ever will. Not in this age nor in the one to come. No one will even come close to exceeding Him. Pray that through the sovereign grace of God, you will more and more realize the greatness of Jesus over all powers, seen and unseen, known and unknown. Paul wraps up with his prayer with this thought in verse 22 and 23. It says, He put everything under his feet and appointed him as the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Jesus, it says, is head over everything. Every head needs a body. And look at what he says here. He says very clearly that the church is the body of Christ. Every head has a body through which it can work. When the body doesn't work, we know something's wrong. We know something's wrong when the body doesn't work. We know, we, know, we know something's happening. If your arm hangs limp at your side, we know there is a problem. If your legs won't take you where, they need, where you need to go, if you can't stand, if your legs won't hold you up, we know that there is a problem. And just as the ideas of the mind, they can't become effective without a body, the fullness of God, we're told here, cannot be brought to the world without the work of the church, without the work of Christ's body. And by God's sovereign grace, he tells us here that his plan for the world is to be carried out by the church. Those who have a relationship with Jesus. That's who's supposed to carry it out. Those who said, I want to do life with you, Jesus. We are the ones, he says, who are to carry out his plan for the world. It's in the hands of the church, the hands of the people of the body of Christ. But we don't do it alone. Notice it says that Jesus is head over everything for the church. We do not do this on our own. It's, it's, we realize the sovereign grace of God and we pray for his wisdom. We pray for a fuller revelation and knowledge of God. For a new realization of the Christian hope and the power of God. We continually we, we pray you know, to realize more of the greatness of Jesus, our Savior, over all powers. And because we recognize the sovereign grace of God, we pray that we will submit to his leadership and live as his body in the fullness of Christ here on earth. That does not come automatically to us. That is not the way we all or we usually think. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength. 
He demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way.